0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatou So. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, friend of the podcast, can't believe I get to say that, Hillary Rodham Clinton is back and she's here with Chelsea Clinton to talk about their new book. Hi, Ann Friedman. Hello, hello. How's it going? Well, Aminatou, so (laughs) I have been better. I am really like, I got a cold. My uterus is shedding itself in a very angry fashion. I am hot and then I'm not hot.
1: I'm cold. I'm like, ugh, how are you? (laughs) You know... I would say doing better than that, but that's so... <laughs> different problems. Yes, different problems. I don't have like baby Wolverine uh, mm-hmm. in my uterus problems, but uh, many other problems. So, you know, it's also like that part of tour, I feel like, where we just both get tired and the the, the, the being away far from your bed really starts to show. It's
0: real. So, you know, emotional and geographical tour check-in is uh, we are in austin texas tonight and then um we have a little break and then we added one final date at the end of october saturday october 26th in washington dc the city where it all began for you and me
1: (laughs) (laughs) that sounds so romantic
0: i mean it was we're doing a live episode recording at the comedy slash friendship slash podcast festival the benson ball and there are tickets um at callyourgirlfriend.com slash tour I'm excited to have a little break before we do that one. And also so excited for this Austin audience tonight. All of the above. On this week's agenda, friend of the podcast, can't believe I get to say that,
1: Hillary Rodham Clinton is back and she's here with Chelsea Clinton. I was really excited to call them up and talk about their new book, The Book of Gutsy Women, Favorite Stories of Courage and Resilience, You know, like the first thing that I thought is, is there a household that has written more books like just in general in America? I don't think so. An extremely prolific
0: household, let's be real. Yeah, they don't live together, but metaphorical household, family tree, a Uh, prolific
1: tree. (laughs) uh, A prolific family tree of, of authors. So this book is a children's book, but like all children's books, it is not just for children. As you've gathered from the title, the book is essentially a collection highlighting gutsy women throughout history and a thing that i am always struck by when i read you know like this genre of books is like yes like of course i know everyone and i know every story and that's never what happens (laughs) always be learning wait you don't know everything not about gutsy women apparently (laughs) not and it's also just like very heartening because you're like oh like again like children's uh history or literature as a gateway for actually exposing the fact that nobody knows anything about anything in history and that women are always like written out or their contributions minimized and so i really liked this fresh take on chelsea and hillary to women who have had like a lifelong conversation about who the women are that inspire them sharing that with the rest of us
0: i have a question for you is there a children's book from your own upbringing that that you feel was a real eye-opener or like something that you were like whoa
1: oh that's such a good that's such a good question wow you were really like knocking me on my butt because (laughs) i really feel like there were definitely books like that like i remember i remember reading like all the ramona quimby books and being like oh you can be like a small person with emotions like i remember that being like a very uh that was something that i was like oh this is very anthetical to the way that i'm being raised and i was like i genuinely appreciate this character and she is a character i remember that that was like a big like oh, you can be a young person this way.
0: Ramona and Bezas had a lot of, a lo- all of the feels, as they say on the internet. <laughs>
1: right, you know, and I was like raised with no feels. So I think I really lost myself in like feels. Um, but it's also true for me that most of the books that I read, well, not just me, but in general, but most of the books that I read when I was younger were about boys. And mm. so it wasn't until... I think, like, when I was learning English and I started reading, like, English books where I was like, oh, there's just, like, a wider net here. Like, everything that Jackie Woodson has ever written really just, like, knocked me on my butt. And There's so much
0: butt-knocking happening today. Listen, I love it.
1: <laughs> but it wasn't truly until, like, my friends started having kids and I was perused books to, to buy for them where I was like, oh, this body of work can, can teach me something. The book that
0: I remember reading as a very young child that um, I was obsessed and fascinated with um is this book called people, which is a very pretty kind of like colored pencil watercolor book written and illustrated by Peter Speer. Um, and the theme of the book is just like there are lots of different people in the world. That's like literally what it's about. There's a whole page of like people have different noses, whole page of noses. People like to wear different clothes, whole page of different clothes. Like
1: and <laughs> This and is I, the most Anne Friedman thing in the
0: world. I honestly loved it so much, you know, it was like it was a little bit like Where's Waldo, if Where's Waldo had cared about being representative. To be fair, I also loved Where's Waldo, but um, it was it was really just like a book that I felt I could look at for hours and always notice something different of like, oh, like this woman is wearing a dress this way. I've never seen that in person or like it is something that has very much shaped like my interest in like talking to strangers as an adult. I think about it a lot. I buy it for the young people in my life, even though I'm like, it definitely does not feel radical in any way or definitely not the way it felt to me as a kid. Because many of these young people are growing up with a lot of people who don't look exactly like them or have cultural traditions exactly like them. Anyway, people, life-changing for me. Not explicitly about women, but I do remember there being some good representation of women in this book.
1: That makes me happy. Um, Well, you know, the thing about the Gutsy Women book is that it has exclusively representation of like awesome women. Correcting the narrative. (laughs) Yeah, correcting the narrative. And also really, um, I think making people think about uh what it means to have guts or grit mm-hmm. you know which is not a thing that historically we teach girls at least anyway it's not a you know it's just like here here's how you be a girl in the world and nobody's ever like be courageous be adventurous stand up for the truth have a backbone and so i don't know thinking about that as a value that you can actually like inculcate very young to people is that's exciting to me because then i'm like you don't have to be like me in your 30s being like oh where do i where do i muster up courage from right (laughs) so it's uh you know so that's exciting about it we talked um you know we also talked about like which gutsy women today we want to highlight when future people read the history of our times Mm -hmm. because you know i forget which uh dead american poet it was that was like a History is never dead. Um, <laughs> a thing that the history people love to tell you. Sure. It's happening. Uh, right. We're making history right now on this
0: sofa as we record the podcast. Is that what you're saying? Right. We're making history right now. <laughs>
1: Maybe somebody will illustrate us in a book one day about like, a, you know, women who were tired, but try to be gutsy. Two, so. two women who picked up the microphone week after week <laughs> to fearlessly share their
0: opinions. Oh, my God. I'm taking these headphones off and running away.
1: Right. You know, and it's also, um, I was also just like very excited because obviously like Chelsea Clinton is someone that has been in our consciousness for a long time, but I don't hear a lot from her, right? Like I hear a lot about her and the work that she's doing. And I'm just like a mother-daughter pairs that get along and work together will always be like fascinating and inspirational to me. It's such an interesting
0: topic coming from these women in particular, because I think that in general, it's pretty common for girls to be raised to maybe like oh yeah go after what you want or like it's okay to have an opinion now but I think what is less repeated to them is that that's going to mean not everyone likes you and it's totally Mm. fine to not be liked by everyone if you are taking a stand on something that matters or creating something that feels really important and meaningful to you and when I think about the match of a topic like this for kids written by Hillary and Chelsea in particular I think about women who have really been comfortable sacrificing likability frankly like in a in a in a way that i i don't even mean that as um i don't even mean that as an insult or anything i mean i just it's it's the facts and so i think that the more we can talk about not just um being gutsy as a virtue but like it being okay that maybe not everyone likes you or it maybe being a fact that you're going to feel a little lonely sometimes mm-hmm. while you do it feels really important because i think sometimes that's where that messaging breaks down for young women
1: Right. And also I think that just teaching that you can be um, you can be a hero by being an ordinary person. Because yes. the thing I think that for me is always hard to relate to is when the only people we talk about are like very famous or they're superheroes or whatever. And then it's like, no, actually, there are things that you can do in your everyday life to make life better for everyone and to be a person who is trying to live a life where you're making everything better around you. You don't have to like wait to be the person in the world that you're supposed to be. And so that, that to me was very exciting. And also mostly I'm just, you know, I think that for, for people our age and people older, just this realization as you get older about how much women's contributions are minimized or just completely erased from history and, and, realizing the real life consequences that that has you know Mm -hmm. it has consequences on mm, say the 2016 election maybe (laughs) it has consequences on how you feel about yourself as a as a woman in the world and you know obviously like I feel sad for us but it makes me excited that a new generation they're gonna be raised differently and they'll just know differently and so that's a good thing yes raise your daughters to not care if they're liked (laughs) I'm excited to listen to this interview. Well, here you go, Anne.
0: I'm Hillary
2: Rodham Clinton. This is Chelsea Clinton. And we wrote The Book of Gutsy Women, Favorite Stories of Courage and Resilience.
1: Thank you so much for uh, talking to us about this book. I'm really curious if you can talk about how you decided to write a book together. Well, this book is about some
2: of the women that uh, we admire who inspired us uh, because uh, they were gutsy in their own lives, but they were gutsy also on behalf of other people, knocking down barriers, overcoming obstacles, Uh, and it really arose out of a conversation that Chelsea and I started having when she was a little girl about inspiring women and why I wanted her to learn about Uh, such women and their lives because we know that history has written out a lot of very gutsy women and it's also marginalized others. So part of the goal of this book is to spark a conversation so that many people are talking about gutsy women, the gutsy women in their own lives, the gutsy women that they know about. uh, Because I just think we're living at a time when we need to be uplifted when we need to be persuaded that no matter how dark it seems or difficult uh, the road, we can walk it and others have done it before us. And so we wanted to share these favorite stories. We could have written a much longer book with many, many more women included uh, to uh, be a, a conversation starter and also a reminder that we have to do a lot more to make sure that women past and present and, Maybe even future uh, are included in our histories.
3: No, I was just going to add one of the joys of um, of working with my mom on this effort, and I can't believe it's kind of finally out in the world. Was revisiting those conversations that were so formative to me as a little girl and as a, a young woman, and. Uh, that's meant so much to me, particularly now as a parent and and kind of now thinking about the stories I want to share with my daughter, but also my sons of, of really gutsy women who have inspired me kind of since I was their age um, and continue to inspire me today.
1: I find the use of the word gutsy to be such a good choice in the title because there's so many synonyms uh, in that family of words that make people balk, specifically the word ambitious, for example, um, even though it's a word that I love and apply to myself. But when I saw the cover of the book, it made me really happy because I felt that so many more people could connect to that sentiment so much easier. And so I would love it if you could talk a little bit about how you define gutsy.
2: That's a great question. And, uh, you know, for me, it's that combination of grit and perseverance and courage that sees you through the hard times and gives you the optimism and the hope to keep going. Uh, Because despite all of the obstacles and the really difficult times a lot of these women faced, they never gave up. And that takes a certain level of optimistic belief that you can finally make it. So, I mean, the very first person that we profile in the book is Harriet Tubman. Uh, I mean, really, could you think of a a more uh, difficult life and one that she kept powering through because she was, in our view, a gutsy woman?
3: I mean, since you mentioned the cover, one of the conversations my mom and I have had throughout the whole process of writing the book is a a unifying theme of the gutsy women we profile's lives is that kind of they were gutsy for themselves and others. And sometimes the others were people in their family or their community, and sometimes it really kind of is our world. And when we think about the women on the cover of the book who were uh, volunteer firefighters at Pearl Harbor, they're preparing in case... They're needed. It's from 1941, but before uh, the attack on on Pearl Harbor, and just like the look on their face as they're kind of working together, just that sheer grit and gutsiness, uh, and then kind of their their preparedness that you know we don't know, but probably helped help save lives. Just a, f- a few months later, is incredibly in- inspiring to us, and and such a. A mark of of gutsiness and kind of shared them with the stories kind of in in the book.
1: I really love hearing you say that because I think that we are living in this moment where everyone is just interrogating all the stories that we've been told about women throughout history and the women who have been written about, the women who have been written out, the women who have been forgotten. And I find that this book is doing a lot of that work, resurfacing the stories of both historical women and modern women and telling them in a way that will leave a different mark in history. I'm wondering what the process was like for both of you when you were choosing whose stories you wanted to tell.
2: It was a really difficult process, I will confess, because uh, there were so many women. I mean, this book could be ten times the length that it is, which our publisher was not enthusiastic about. So we wrote... uh, over 200 essays. I mean, we had lists of hundreds and hundreds of women who we think of as gutsy, uh, whose stories we would have loved to have told, and we wrote over 200 essays about, uh, about them. And then we had to keep cutting and cutting, so we ended up with 103. It was really difficult because there were so many women, just as you were saying, whose accomplishments, whose stories had been either written out of history marginalized or totally forgotten. And that was particularly true because there were women that I was impressed by and inspired by when I was a young uh, girl and didn't know any women who worked outside the home other than my teachers and the public librarians. And by the time Chelsea came along, there were so many more women who were doing things that thankfully were becoming more expected. And so we wanted to tell the stories of a lot of women who might not have a big audience right now, but whose lives are so inspirational to us. And hopefully readers will find their own inspiration to live their own uh, gutsy life.
1: You have both written a lot of books. (laughs) I think that as a household, (laughs) probably there's no family in America that's written as many books as you all. Um, Chelsea, I have really enjoyed uh, the children's book that you put out recently also. But I think that a collaborative writing process is very different. And so I would love to hear you talk about how you work together.
3: Well, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it also did take a lot of work you know as as my mom was speaking about the narrowing down of of the women that we were able to include. And thankfully, my mom and I really respected each other's advocacy, but we kind of really had to go to the mat for the women that we wanted to include and kind of make the case to the other for why we thought this particular story just had to be had to be told and had to be included in the book. And then kind of in the mechanics of the writing itself, I did know that my mom still wrote longhand. I mean, I'd seen her yellow and white legal pads with her her script on them kind of around my parents' home, but I hadn't quite understood what it would be like to work with someone who doesn't use Google Docs or like doesn't use a shared drive or doesn't use track changes or comment boxes as a way to collaborate. And so, you know, I would like, you know, send her six attachments, and she could she could open them and she could print them, and then she would make suggested edits or write questions, and then she would take pictures of her handwritten notes on my typed out pages and then send the photographs to me as a way to like share her. <laughs> Her thoughts, and I kept saying like track changes are your friend. Like I can just teach you how to do this, and she just kept saying like that's not how I think or operate. And finally, I just had to realize like my pleas and entreaties were just insufficiently persuasive, um, <laughs> and I had to adapt um, because she just wasn't going to. So that did take a while, but we we got into a
2: good. A good okay. groove. Okay. Once it, I once I gave up. In my, my in my defense, girlfriend. Okay, in my defense, <laughs> it is the way I've always written long form things. And you know who else writes longhand? Barack Obama. So I think I'm in really good company. Uh, but it was. Frustrating for Chelsea, and I understand that. But I got over it. She got. She got over it. But it, 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 you know, the the best part of it was, frankly, the the discussions we had, and sometimes, you know, the disagreements we had about why one of us wanted to write about somebody, and we could have filled this book with athletes we admire, artists we admire, political leaders, advocates, and and to try to have a cross section of women historical and present, uh, real and fictional, because we uh, agree with people like Sonia Sotomayor and Gail King that Nancy Drew is inspirational. We really had to think hard about how to come up with the essays that are in the book. And what we want the book to do is inspire conversations. We want people to say, you know, my mother was the gutsiest woman I know. We include um, at Chelsea's very uh, strong request, both of her grandmothers, because this is not just about famous women or women who should be famous. It's about everyday women, women you know, women who have withstood terrible uh, ordeals. You know, one of the women we profile is Nadia Murad, uh, who was kidnapped by ISIS when. Her village was uh, invaded uh, in northern Iraq, and she went through the worst experiences you could. And she never lost her courage to escape. But when she escaped, you know, her very traditional society was reluctant to take back all the young women who'd been kidnapped and raped by their captors. And she became the voice of these women, speaking out for them, standing up for them. So there are women who have faced the most horrific kinds of experiences. And then women who were privileged, like Betty Ford, who made the book, in my uh, strong opinion, because when she got breast cancer, it was at a time when she was the first lady, nobody even said the words. And we're now in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And she was the first person publicly who not only had a mastectomy, but then invited the press into her hospital room with her husband, President Ford, to have a picture taken so she could try to end the stigma about this disease. So the women face different challenges and we really admire how they responded to them.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up the, the Betty Ford example because it's one that I was really touched by and also realized that I just didn't know that. I had no idea that a first lady... Um, had done this kind of advocacy. And I was really excited um, by the thing that you said about the fact that it was also not just all famous women and that there is such a good uh, cross-section of women throughout history. And so... I, you know, I would love to hear more from both of you about what your hope is for people who pick up this book because I know that it's a it's technically a children's book, but I was enthralled reading it because again, I just keep realizing there is so much that I don't know.
3: Well, you know, my hope um kind of in addition to kind of what my mom was saying earlier in terms of, you know, Hoping that it will resonate with readers and readers thinking about kind of the gutsy women in their own lives, and you know, hopefully reflecting that maybe they're the gutsy woman in their life and and owning that um, and um, kind of being proud of that. Is that I hope um, that it also helps people connect to kind of issues and and work uh, that still very much needs to be done and is crying out for gutsy women. I mean, one of the women we profile as someone um, that I've just been honored to get to know and to support is Frady Rice, who's really leading the effort to end child marriage here in the United States. It's still Mm -hmm. legal uh, for children to be married in 48 states, I mean, including where you're sitting in California and where we are sitting in New York, And that is just unconscionable to me that it is 2019 and it is still legal uh, for children to be married. Uh, And uh, Frady was in a forced marriage, um, an abusive marriage. Uh, She was incredibly gutsy in liberating herself and her children, and then incredibly gutsy again in using her story to fight to end child marriage. And now... um, Two states uh, have banned child marriage without exception. Before Frady started working, it was no state. So we still have 48 more to go, but I'm so thankful to Frady. And so I hope that people who read this book think... Wow! Like that's work that I want to be involved in, and that's where I want to kind of direct my gutsiness. Or it could be kind of in any arena, um, kind of that we talk about or or don't. But I hope it's not just kind of inspirational for people to think about gutsy women, but to really think of how they can be gutsy and kind of direct that energy towards something that calls to them.
1: sure that you both know this. In New York City, there are only five statues out of the 150 statues in the city's outdoor public spaces that honor women. This year, the city announced that they were going to add um, probably four more. That's still going to be only nine women out of 150 statues just um, in our public spaces. You know, when I think about the book really as a record of women who are doing things that deserve to be celebrated. And I think about how little we see that both in literature, we see it very little depicted in media, but also we don't see women in our public spaces and just how much of that has been taken away. I would really love to hear you both talk about the corrective that really has to be done to, to ensure that we hear these stories over and over and over again, and that um, we really correct the course of telling this history.
2: Amen, I am so uh, in line with uh, the point you just made. Uh, we still are ignoring uh, women's achievements even today, and we certainly are not teaching uh, the history of women the way it needs to be taught. Uh, We have women in this book who were major inventors that had no support. They just out of their own intelligence invented something that became well-known. Oftentimes their patent would be stolen or they would not get the recognition that they uh, deserved. We have women, uh, young women right now, uh, Kimberly Bryant and Reshma Sajani, who saw a need to help teach young girls how to code Uh, And they have created organizations to do just that. And so we're trying to fill the gaps that exist uh, in our history. Because if you don't know the history, it can be hard to understand where you are in the course of it. And we want young women of all backgrounds to recognize somebody came before you and you should learn their story because even though we live in vastly different times, Sojourner Truth saying, ain't I a woman, can give you uh, some courage to say the same in your head when you face discrimination in any setting uh, whatsoever. Or Dolores Huerta, who had such a challenging time when she was one of the two founders of the Farm Workers Union. Her co-founder, Cesar Chavez, got all of the attention. She did a lot of the work. And people who get into organizations and feel that, hey, you know, their work needs to be uh, recognized and supported too, uh, can look at her long life of service and accomplishment. And I literally could go on and on because in the book, there are so many stories of women who Uh, certainly never met one another. They weren't in the same line of work. They didn't live at the same time. So in the current environment, we're still having to tell our young girls and boys that you can be what you dream of, but you have to be prepared. You have to work hard. But it's not just for, you know, a certain race or a certain gender or a certain kind of person. It should be for everybody. And I know that's still aspirational, but these women give us the stories to hang on to as we encourage you know young people, particularly young women, to you know make their own uh, mark on life and to choose the path that they think is best for them and to persevere in it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would just add that I think you know, we have to continue to put pressure on the people who kind of have, have the power and authority to do things like ensure there's more representation in our statues here in New York City. And I'm so thrilled that uh, Shirley Chisholm will be one of those new statues. Yeah. But I couldn't agree more that still being not even 10% of statues in public places in New York City is, is nothing to kind of be proud of. One of the great moments for me while we were working on uh, this book was that in April, the kind of very uh, conservative uh, Republican governor of Arkansas, where I was born, um, with whom I don't think I agree on anything, really, except that in April, he signed legislation to replace the two statues that represent Arkansas in kind of the National Hall of Statues in, at the U.S. Capitol um, so that, you know, very soon it won't be the two white nationalist segregationists who are there now representing Arkansas, but rather Johnny Cash, (laughs) uh, but also, really importantly, Daisy Bates, Mm. uh, who we write about in the book and who my mom knew, um, who uh, really was the driving force behind the Little Rock Nine and physically helped escort the Little Rock Nine, the courageous uh, nine students who integrated uh, Little Rock Central High School in 1957. And so while uh, it shouldn't have taken until 2019 for Daisy Bates to be so honored, we are making progress, but only because we continue to demand that women's stories uh, be told uh, and that we respect and, I would argue, even revere the women who have helped make our country healthier and more equitable, more just more sustainable, while also recognizing that part of their legacies has to be continuing to do that work, because we're still so far from where we need to be.
1: Yeah, Chelsea, I um, love that your mom said that you advocated for your grandmothers to be in the book. And obviously, your mom is not in the book, except that the, the entire subtext is about her. You know, and just and her own gutsiness and her own courage and her own resilience. I'm just like wondering, how does that make you feel?
3: Well, I'm incredibly um, biased towards my mom. I mean, I own that outright. Also, toward my grandmothers. Yet, for me, I mean, as as proud, and I'm fiercely proud uh, to be my mother's daughter. My most important uh, identity now is as my children's mom. And so, when I think about the stories that I want Charlotte and Aiden and Jasper to. Internalize in at the cellular level, and to feel a responsibility for it. Uh, absolutely, are these gutsy women, and and also their gutsy grandma. Um, hashtag Gutsy Grandma, I guess. And um, and, and t understand, yeah, making. I'm definitely going to put that on a t shirt, um, and and a onesie because Jasper's. I mean, he's two months old. He's not in a t shirt yet, um, because I do, you know, think. It's important to feel hopefully not intimidated by their grandmother's example, but our responsibility to that resilience and and to the work that uh, she's kind of been part of her whole life. uh, And yet the work that still has to be done, although hopefully if we do our part, um, there'll be less work for them to do.
1: I love that. Can you tell me what, like, uh, when you, I mean, you're an iconic mother daughter pair. Like, what does an iconic mother daughter pair do when you get together? Like, what are the snacks? <laughs> What's your perfect activity? <laughs> what, like, what does it look like?
3: Well, <laughs> well now, what well, we took, um, we took Charlotte to Frozen this weekend. It was her, for her fifth birthday, it was her grandma's present to her. And it was just amazing to watch her awe and wonderment. And she was just so excited to see Elsa and Anna come to life on stage. Um, But she thinks, like, the movie is real, so please don't tell her it's not. (laughs) Probably our favorite thing is just to listen to the incredible, absurd, delightful questions my kids ask. Because I definitely have fallen down the leaderboard. I mean, my mom makes no bones about the fact that she's far more interested in my children than me, and that's absolutely <laughs> how it should be. Um, so, you know, the honest answer is, like, we spend a lot of time with with the youngest members of our family, listening to them, laughing with them, like, doing magnetiles and Play-Doh with them. But my mom and I also uh, try really hard to go on walks together and still spend time together, um, because, you know, I know I'm still her her little girl, um, and I'm so thankful for the relationship that we have. But as someone who was so close to my uh, grandmother's, I also am thankful to be able to nurture that relationship now between my kids and and my mom.
2: You know, I have to add that it's really a cultural uh, awakening to have little kids around because I never would have probably seen half the movies that I've seen in recent years. Uh, Moana and uh, Frozen, obviously, or the cartoons that they watch. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bubble Guppies Bubble and uh, <laughs> Lord knows what else. Aquan Aquan o- Octonauts and all of that. And they don't get a lot of screen time because uh, their mother understands that that's not good for little kids. But they get it as special treats, and I'm thrilled that w- you know my husband and I are among the special treats. Uh, but we we spend a lot of time. Um, you know, just hanging out. Uh, we go on vacation together. We uh, love to have them at our house, uh, where we live about you know 50 minutes north <coughs> of the uh, north of the city. And as Chelsea said, it's just fascinating to watch their personalities develop. I mean, I know that's the biggest cliche ever, but you know, they're so different. I mean, Charlotte, our granddaughter, just loves. All of the you know fantasy and the princesses and all the stories with her little friends and you know she'll dress up in their costumes and if she has a friend over they're playing and our grandson loves numbers and music and is just so intrigued by all of that and Jasper the two month old is an eating machine so you know we watch all of this develop and it is such a joy and of course I wish that. Both my mother and Bill's mother uh, were still alive to see this next generation, uh, but it is a, uh, a joy for us. And I have to say, when my friends became grandparents uh, and became goofy, googly grandparents like they did, I thought, well, that's really nice, but, you know, I mean, come on. And then it happens to you, and it is truly the only experience in life that is not uh, overrated uh, in any way. So any chance we get. And so far when we knock on the door, they let us in. So I hope that continues
1: uh, for the rest of (laughs) their lives and ours. Do you like, what does watching the news right now make you feel like? Because on the show, we were almost avoiding it because it's still, Mm there is such a pain there. And there's also just, everything is absurd and there's still so much anger, I think for so many people And I'm wondering, like, what is that like for you watching the news unfold? That's a great
2: uh, set of uh, descriptors and, you know, angry, painful absurdity. Uh, Seeing what's happening to our country uh, under this uh, presidency of what I called the other day a, a corrupt human tornado is deeply distressing. You know, the the long-term damage that he's causing to our institutions, to the rule of law, uh, to the uh, separation of powers, the, the whole way that our system is supposed to operate is going to take some real repair work. The next president, hopefully not him, will not only have to defeat him and all that he stands for and the people who still uh, remain in thrall to him and to his uh behaviors, insults, and, uh, you know, general, you know, nastiness. But it's also going to require a, a, a rebooting of our government, a sense that, hey, come on, we are all in this together, and we all have to make uh, a difference. We have to get health care for everybody. We got to deal with climate change. We have to fix this crazy gun culture with, you know, stronger laws to protect people. All the things that Democrats are talking about and should be. Because this, uh, you know, this period in our history hopefully ends soon, but it will be looked back on with just total disbelief. How did we let this happen? How did this, uh, you know, narcissistic character uh, through all of the machinations, including Russian help, end up in the Oval Office? So when I watch it, Obviously, I take it very uh, personally because uh, I still feel, you know, like he's an illegitimate president, and I believe part of his behavior is because he knows he's illegitimate. Uh, he understands that at some level of consciousness, which is why he spends so much time still going after me because he knows what really happened in the election, and sadly. He has the power now to cause real damage. And what I worry about as we move forward with the impeachment inquiry is that he will get more and more uh, irrational and lash out even more. And at some point, we write in the book about uh, a Republican woman senator from Maine called Margaret Chase Smith, who in the early 1950s was the only Republican to stand up on the floor of the Senate and call out Joseph McCarthy, the senator from Wisconsin who was coming up with every conspiracy theory you could think of, ruining people's lives, making accusations. And Margaret Chase Smith had the gutsiness to go to the floor of the Senate and call it out for what it was and to call out her Republican Party. She was joined by very few other voices. It was a really lonely stand that she took. Well, where are the people doing that now? put country ahead of party the way she did and why she's in our book. So, you know, I'm not celebrating the opening of an impeachment inquiry. It's a sober undertaking, but I don't see that uh, Speaker Pelosi or the House had any choice but to investigate the abuses of power that we can plainly see coming from this White House.
3: I agree with all the uh, adjectives both you and my mom used to describe uh, the news on any given day. And we have the largest chunk of an iceberg falling off of Antarctica in many, many decades, and millions of birds uh, disappearing. And the data points around the accelerating existential crisis of climate change are so sobering, and I wish galvanizing to more people. And yet, even in this inundation of bad news, troubling news, distressing news. I would argue there are also real points of optimism because there are so many, particularly women, who get up every day and and try to change the future. So whether we are thinking about all of the gun violence prevention activists who are working not only for stricter laws, but to help try to turn the tide against our death by suicide crisis in our country, uh, or we're thinking about the young women, including many young kind of indigenous and Native American women who are standing on the front lines against climate change and environmental degradation. Or I've been thinking a lot about since my mom shared that uh, Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, is running to be a commissioner in Miami-Dade County. And just to think, like, if she can get up and to try to change the future for other young black men and women, so that no family has to suffer the tragedy that her family did and the grave injustice like how could any of the rest of us ever feel like we shouldn't be doing every single thing that we can do every single day Mm -hmm. um i think about the women who who get up every day and are profoundly courageous and i think uh, we owe it to those women to kind of share that sense of of optimism that their that their lives
2: hold
1: I love that. Um, and last question before we go, what's the next gutsy thing that you're on to? Well,
2: that's a good question.
1: <laughs> we haven't had time to think about it. <laughs> um,
2: you know, let's see. Uh, if I had to think about the next gutsy things, uh, I'm just going to keep speaking out and doing everything I can to uh, support the resistance and elect uh, a Democrat in 2020 and Try to flip the Senate and keep the House so that we can get back to some semblance of normalcy and balance in our country. And I feel absolutely uh, mission driven about that. I would just say we have elections this year around
3: the country, right? A lot of uh, states are electing governors or state legislatures or uh, county commissioners. And so I just think we need to all do everything we can um, kind of. in in 2019 for 2019, as well as kind of for 2020 so that we have a radically different country um, than we have right now.
1: Thank you so, so, so much for making the time today. It means a lot to all of us. And uh, I'm really excited that the book of Gutsy Women, Favorite Stories of Courage and Resilience is out now wherever you buy books. Thank you so much, my friend. Good to talk to you. Oh, that was so good. Thank you,
0: Anne. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm happy to compliment you on your
1: interviewing skills, which are substantial. I am really excited for people to pick up this book and to read it. And more importantly, to just like gift it to the young people in your life. But also, you know, you should probably pour through the pages for yourself and uh, fill in those knowledge gaps.
0: Right. Gutsiness, a thing we can all read up on. You know that Maya Angelou quote about courage? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to paraphrase and I hope not butcher it, but essentially it's that courage is the most important virtue because without it, you cannot practice any other virtue.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Dr. Maya Angelou, always with a word. I mean, Oprah is also always re-quoting it. So this is just like a (laughs) fourth-hand paraphrase. I think um, (laughs) I apologize if I got it wrong. But yeah, it's something that I was thinking about when I was thinking about gutsiness as like a primary lesson to teach the next generation of women and ourselves. Love it.
1: Love it. See you on the internet. See you on Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton's internet. (laughs) You can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Canisius Need. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf, where Sophie Carter-Kahn does all of our social. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.